If you have your Bibles with you this evening, let's go ahead and turn to the context that Marcello read just a moment ago, Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. I like feel off-centered because you guys extended this row. It's throwing me off so much. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 16. And let's go ahead and pray and ask the Lord to bless our time in this passage. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for your grace. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you for the privilege that you've given to us to come together, to gather as a fellowship, to gather as a, as a body of uh, believers. But Father, you'd grant us much grace that we would reflect your son Jesus, that we would become more like him, so that way we can become more pleasing to you. Father, we pray that you'd instill it within us by your grace that to be pleasing to you is our sole enjoyment and our sole priority, and that that would be seen as one of the greatest treasures that we as fallen, sinful creatures could ever hope to obtain, is the opportunity to be pleasing to the infinite, holy, and sovereign God. So, Father, we pray that you'd grant us much grace, help us to move away from sin and into righteousness even more and more and that you'd be glorified by that. And we pray this in your son's name. Amen. Last week, we saw, or actually not last week, I'm sorry. Last week, uh, was in Phoenix, and that was a fun time. <laughs> last week, last two weeks ago, we were studying the concept of gospel motivation. In other words, that our actions, our activities just as a whole, that's the idea of gospel motivation, that things that you'd be doing, things that you would be participating in, would all be done so as a result of being motivated by the gospel. You're not doing things to cause God's pleasure or God's involvement within your life. You're doing things because God is involved in your life. That's the idea of gospel motivation. We had looked at that in the dating series where really the main motivation to pursue somebody of the opposite sex in a romantic context is for the glory of God, that you would glorify the, God, the Lord in your actions and your behaviors and your thoughts and your activities, all those different things. Well, last, week, last time we had looked at the subject of gospel motivation and how that can basically move us into unity being motivated by the gospel. So Christ has saved us. He has redeemed us from our sins. He has taken the wrath of the Father so that we would be wrathless for all of eternity. And as a result of that, we would then look at other individuals and experience enjoyment with other individuals who have, done the, who have experienced the same thing. So we're all filled with the Spirit. We're all blood-bought individuals. And by virtue of that, we're brought into a relationship that would exist with one another. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. There's a unity that is supposed to exist. This evening, we're going to look at concepts and principles of how that's going to play out in ministry. How gospel motivation will affect Ministry, or even putting it this way, that Paul uses gospel motivation to teach us how to correct inactivity within our lives. In other words, as you become a Christian, as you've been saved, there is now something that you have been saved unto. 
there's a pretty common understanding in many evangelical circles that we need to be so obsessed with doing whatever is necessary in order to just simply, and I say that candidly, but in order to just simply save somebody, in order for somebody to simply be a Christian, and then beyond that, there's really not much other concern or care for what takes place within their lives. If we can just check it off of the checklist of our ministry that we are enabling the opportunity for people to become Christians, then we're good to go. We don't have to worry about anything else beyond that. But as we study the New Testament, as we see the scriptures, we begin to see that God is teaching us that you haven't only as amazing as this is, as satisfying as this is, as fantastic as this is, you haven't only been saved from sin. You haven't only been saved from something. Now, as magnificent as that is, that that would be considered enough except for God's teaching of what a Christian is supposed to be or do. You've been saved from something, and you've been saved to something. There's now a lifestyle that coincides, that cooperates with who you now are as a Christian. And there's a word that is commonly associated with the activity of a Christian. It's called ministry. We're going to examine that in much more detail as we go through our context this evening. But there's going to be, and there has even been already, significant gospel motivation for Christians to stop being inactive. For Christians to stop being idle. For Christians to stop being stagnant. Do you guys know what stagnant water is? Have you guys ever heard that terminology before? Stagnant water is essentially water that's been allowed to sit completely still for long periods of time, and as a result of that, it develops a stench. And so Paul is giving us gospel motivation to stop being stinky Christians that are just sitting there, and there's no activity, there's no movement, there's no ministry that is taking place. And if you examine it within that framework, within that context, Christ paid everything. He died upon a cross to make you wrathless. He was wrathful. He was full of wrath, full of God's wrath, in order that you would be wrathless. And as a result of that, has then said, now that I have purchased you, now that I have brought you into a right relationship with myself, with the Father, mediated by the Holy Spirit, mediated by the mediator Jesus Christ, all of those principles are there. He is now saying, be active. So let's reread our context here and we'll examine some of these principles of how the gospel motivates us to be active Christians. Ephesians 4, 11 through 16. I'll be reading from the ESV basically from now on. It wasn't exactly influenced by the conference, but that may have had something to do with it. Ephesians 4, 11 through 16. And he gave the apostles the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we would no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves, and carried about by every wind of doctrine, 
by human cunning, by craftiness, in deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Jesus Christ. <coughs> Excuse me. Verse 16, from who the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is proper is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Christians, especially those that are motivated by the gospel, to put it simply, have work to do. There's also a false perception that exists in many evangelical circles and many Christian circles that if somebody is being paid by the church, that's an individual who should be working. If they're receiving a paycheck, they're on staff, they're an individual who has, who has pursued a career specifically within the church, that's what work looks like. Or if you see like a pastor, somebody who is teaching, that's somebody who is working for the church. Somebody in some kind of a leadership position, that's who's working in the church. The expression that has often come across in many of our understandings and in many of the way that it's traditionally ascribed to church, which is very Roman Catholic actually, is that you have leadership that does ministry and the rest of us are simply supposed to follow and be ministered to. Now, don't mistake what I'm saying. Every single one of us needs to be ministered to, and we should all be following the leadership, be following the, the pastors especially, ultimately be following the Word of God. That's all definitely true. That's all definitely there. But there's something that's particular to our context that seems to shatter that reality that many of us may perceive church or that many individuals that are Christians perceive church. It's really, it's really just like entertainment in some circles. Even if the preaching is legitimately great, many people can approach it as entertainment. This happened even all the way back in Ezekiel's time. Past chapter 30, God starts telling Ezekiel, the people come to you as people come. They listen to you. They even, they even say to each other, let's go hear the word of God. And so they all gather around and they all listen to and imagine if Ezekiel was your preacher. <laughs> How much of a glorious reality would that be? To have the prophet Ezekiel be the one that is preaching the word of God to you. He would blow me out of the water. I would look like Lamb Chop's play-along compared to Ezekiel. In fact, I do because he's speaking the Word of God specifically and I'm a fallen, wretched sinner. But imagine that. The people in that context would say to each other, let's go hear Ezekiel preach the Word of God. Let's hear the Word of God. In fact, many of us probably in our friendships with each other probably get together at some point and say, let's listen to a sermon together. Let's go attend church over the weekend. Or, you know, Heritage doesn't do a Saturday night service. We'd really like to go listen to somebody preaching on a Saturday night. Let's go listen to the Word of God. And yet God had said that they come to you and they listen and they take you to be nothing more than a skilled musician putting on a concert. That's many, in many ways, the same attitude that would exist amongst individuals today claiming to be Christian is that I want to go into a service, I want to hear something that I would like to hear, whether it's good doctrine or bad doctrine. I just want to hear the message being preached. I want to hear good worship. How many times have you heard somebody come out of a worship service and say, man, wasn't that worship amazing? 
The response should be, I don't know, maybe let me ask God how, how he thinks the worship was. Because the worship is primarily intended for God. You can find enjoyment in worshiping God, but the number one person who should, we should be most concerned about with is enjoying the worship is God himself, who the worship is actually intended for. And so here we see a specific reality, though, that God gave apostles to the church. He gave prophets to his people. He gave evangelists. And if you'll notice something interesting there, when you think evangelist, you think somebody that primarily only concerns themselves with preaching the gospel to the lost, and yet evangelists were given for the church. He gave them shepherds. He gave them teachers. And verse 12 tells us for a specific purpose, to equip the saints for the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ. The entire purpose of every category of leadership that has just been presented is to equip the saints. Now, by logical conclusion, you can take that and you can recognize in each one of those categories that if you don't have saints, you should make saints. So that includes the concept of needing to evangelize. Discipleship even includes the concept of needing to evangelize the lost. But the main purpose, the main goal of every category of leadership, the main goal of every kind of ministry ultimately, but the main goal of these categories of leadership is so that you would have saints that have been trained to do the work of the ministry. No evangelist is to be missions-minded unless the end result is equipped saints. No pastor, no teacher, no prophet, no apostle will ever be effective in their task unless the end result is equipped saints. Now, what is ministry? I think you hear that term thrown around a lot. You hear of ministry this, ministry that. You have skate park ministry. You have volleyball ministry. You have meal ministry. You have homeless ministry. You have beach ministry. You have Hawaii ministry. You have relaxing ministry. You have coffee ministry. I mean, you could just start at any website's church and read down the list of like 50 different kinds of ministry. Cleaning ministry. Singles ministry. Couples ministry, men's ministry, women's ministry, probably even a pulpit building ministry. Just pick something within the room. Uh, uh, ceiling tile ministry, uh, stand ministry, uh, uh, whiteboard ministry, uh, children's ministry, youth ministry, college and career ministry. And they don't call it old people ministry because that's rude. It's, it's silver saints ministry, right? You guys are laughing. That's exactly what they call it. Silver saints ministry, nursing home ministry, every single thing that you could ever possibly think of. There's probably been coffee house ministry. Let's, let's create a coffee house. Let's try to compete with Starbucks Let's throw out some coffee and some espresso, and I'm all for that. Minister some coffee to me. Let's throw these concepts out there. We'll charge people a fee, and then we'll preach the gospel to them. We'll call it ministry. 
gangs ministry, trying to minister to people in gangs or street ministry, something of that effect. You hear ministry thrown around in so many different ways, shapes, and forms, and tons of those are legitimate ministries. I mean, not ceiling tile ministry. That's satirical in a lot of ways. But a lot of those are definitely legitimate ministries, and some things that we throw the term ministry on is maybe not necessarily actually a ministry. What is ministry? Well, first off, I think it's important to deal with the concept of equipping for ministry. What does it mean to be equipped? The word in the Greek text here of being equipped means to set a broken bone. It's from the medical world back in in ancient Greek culture and society. It's what you would do if you were going to set somebody's broken leg, if you're going to set somebody's broken arm, you would essentially katartismos it. You You would equip it. You would give it the ability to be set and to be put back in place. So in reality, the idea of equipping saints is to take broken people, take jacked up and messed up sinful people, and to set those issues straight, to correct the issues of sin within their life, the issues of brokenness within their life. The idea also includes the concept of furnishing a home. Now, how in the world in Greek thought and in Greek culture and society you go from medically setting bones to making your bedroom look legit with furniture? I don't know, but that's the usage of the word, katartismos, is to furnish a home, to fully furnish a home with all of the things that are needed to make that a proper functioning home. So again, it's kind of like the idea of not just save from something, but to something. It's the idea of correcting something, but also adding something. Giving things to an individual that were not previously there that are necessary for them to properly function. That's the basic idea of being equipped in its definition. Now, there's going to be applicational value in how that plays out in terms of of preaching the Word of God to somebody and helping them grow out of sin, teaching them what God expects them to be doing and teaching them more about God because there is no such thing as ministry if a person doesn't know anything about the Lord. So those things are definitely going to be there. So regardless of what ministry is, an equipped person is a person whose sin is being fixed and is growing in their knowledge of God and His Word and is growing in their effectiveness of understanding what they should be doing in ministry. People who are ignorant of Scripture and have ongoing issues of sin are not equipped for ministry. So in that respect, what is ministry? The word means mediation or being an intermediary. That's a really fancy way of saying somebody who stands in the gap between two people. Somebody who mediates concepts. If, if you guys have ever gone through some kind of a mediation, uh, I know of individuals who have experienced divorces and at some point they need to mediate between the divorced spouses. In other words, somebody who can stand in between these individuals and begin to mediate concepts and, and somehow come to compromises or conclusions. That's the idea of an intermediary or somebody who's a mediator. You're going to essentially be ministering to people. You're going to basically stand in the gap between God and them. And you're going to effectively communicate to them the things that God wants them to know. That's ministry. 
It also is an opportunity for you to effectively communicate things to God from them. Prayer requests or different things like that would be examples. Not that you're replacing Christ's mediatorship, but that you're enabled to be like Christ and to effectively communicate Christ's mediatorship to other individuals. How it is that Christ is mediating for them, you can be in an opportunity in ministry to communicate effectively what God is saying. That's really all just fancy terminology for saying that ministry is to bring the word of God to somebody and to continually draw that person more and more to Christ. So that's why you can begin to see why ceiling tile ministry is not a ministry. It's a joke. <laughs> Literally, in that sense, that's a joke. The idea of ministering is bringing something to somebody from somebody else. You're bringing news in fact, you're bringing good news to them. You're bringing information to them. You're bringing materials that a person would need, material needs even, in order to enable somebody to be more effectively receiving the things of the kingdom. So let me, let me say that one a little bit differently, that you can contribute, and even in some circumstances should contribute, material things like like blankets, like Bibles, like clothing, like different things to other people because that's an avenue and an opportunity and an open door to bring the gospel to them, to bring what God wants them to know and to bring the reality that God's the one who's giving you these good material things. These things are from the Lord. Every good gift is from the Lord. These things are from the Lord. God wants me to bring you good things like this so that you would know he is personally interested in your life, but not just so that you can have a blanket so that you're warm at night, but so you could have the gospel so that you're warm for the rest of eternity. Taken care of specifically in that way. The primary purpose... The ultimate goal of ministry is to bring the gospel to each other. Bringing the gospel to the lost is included within that concept, but it's most especially the bringing of the gospel on a continual and ongoing basis to other Christians as well. That's why evangelist is being mentioned here. That's why Romans 1, Paul said, I was eager to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome. I was eager to evangelize you Romans. Ministry's goal is always and only primarily concerned with the gospel. Now again, there are ways in which bringing material concepts or different opportunities to open the door, but the primary purpose is so that people would receive good news from God. In fact, giving material things in and of themselves is not going to result in a saved and more mature Christian. Giving cash to a person on the side of the street without giving them gospel is a pointless gesture. How many times do you hear Christianity essentially reduced to just that? Good Samaritan theology is what it would be called, or at least that's what I would call it. You see somebody on the corner of the street and you don't give them cash, you're not representing Christ because Christ had all kinds of cash that he gave out. He had fish, he had bread, and he took that from a boy. 
but then he multiplied it. He was a miracle worker. He's a gospel worker. And as John tells us, even every single miracle that he did in those regards was all intended to communicate a spiritual principle. When he heals a blind man, it's not just that he's only concerned with somebody being able to see. He's concerned with you knowing this is what it's like for you to be blind spiritually, and I'm the one who can make you see. In fact, even if you reference Acts chapter 3, Peter and John are walking into the temple to pray. And they see this guy who's been lame from birth. He's sitting at the gates of the temple. And of course, he's got a great panhandling business plan. People are walking into the temple. These are religious people. I'll stand in front of the temple. Well, not really stand because he's lame. I'll sit in front of the temple. That was rude. That was rude. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. The terminology is jacked up. He He was brought to the temple and was there. Okay, perfect. We're totally neutral now. He was there at the gates, and his primary purpose was to ask for money. That's all that he wanted to do when he was there, was ask for money. Peter and John come across, and he looks at them, and he's like, here's a cash opportunity. I'm going to ask them for some money. And Peter goes with, responds with, in some ways, one of the most unchristian things that you'd ever think anybody, especially an apostle of the Lord, would respond with. I don't, I don't got any cash. I don't have any silver. I don't have any gold. I've got something better. You're wanting something that could be temporarily spent. I'm talking about something that was infinitely spent. Something that was spent for you permanently. I have the gospel. In the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. And then they all praised God. That's ministry. Somebody who responds to God in utter praise means that you have successfully ministered to them. Second Corinthians nine, eleven through fifteen gives us a clearer understanding of ministry. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. The whole purpose of having the ability to be generous, and I would even say contextually that this is more spiritually generous, but regardless of what it is, it's talking about generous in every way. So that would include the ability to give things, supplying the needs of the saints, but that the purpose would ultimately produce the produce of it. What is this that you're planting? What is this going to do in somebody's life? If it doesn't cause them to thank God, you failed in ministry. That's not ministry. Verse 12 of 2 Corinthians 9. For the ministry of this service, the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. In the in the lives of the people that are being ministered to, if they cannot but help to explode because you've been pouring too much grace into their lives like a balloon, you keep filling it up with water, keep filling it up with water, and then it erupts, it explodes, and water gushes forth. It should be that way with the person that you're ministering to that they have swelled up so much with grace and they cannot help but explode and utter usher out thanksgivings unto God. 
Verse 13, by their approval of this service. In other words, truly, genuinely saints being genuinely ministered to approve of this service. Because for them, they now, verse 13, can glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Thanks be to God for His inexpressible gift. You really want to draw a crowd and draw the right crowd? You really want to have other individuals and friends be able to come into a youth group? You really want to have a youth group that's successful? You really want to have ministry that's successful? You want to have a church that's successful? Because bear in mind, every single church is full of wretched sinners. Any of them at any point in time, in fact, all of them at every point in time, might and probably will let you down and offend you. But is it that you have a submission to ministry that comes from a confession of the gospel? I say this is what the gospel is, and because I keep saying that the gospel is Jesus Christ dying for my sins, dying for your sins, saving us into a right relationship with Him, and moving us into a greater and higher quality of life, because I'm convinced of that, I confess it, I'm generous in what I give out. If I don't have material possessions, I give all kinds of spiritual possessions. Things that I have learned from the Word of God. I'm going to give you what God says. And there's such an utter value of what God says that these people that are ministering to would then, the people that they're being, that are being ministered to would long for those that are ministering. Praying for those that are ministering. and abounding in utter thanks to God. Here's a summary here of ministry. Ministry is gospel-saturated, gospel-dense lives. Dense with the gospel. If you were in water, you would be sunk to the bottom of a lake because of how dense you are in the gospel, how, how weighty the gospel is in your life, how, how much gospel is in your life, how motivated you are by the gospel to help each other and specifically to help each other become more like Christ. That's the end result. Which, of course, would mean that really ministry is a continual opposition to sin and a continual submission to the Word of God. And it starts right here with you. You have a responsibility, and I have a responsibility. All of us have a responsibility, as presented within this text, to equip and to be equipped in order that Jesus becomes so much more important in every single one of our lives. That's ministry. Here's a couple of implications before we move on here. Number one, you are not automatically equipped for ministry by virtue of being saved. The Corinthians experience that 
They became Christians. They became zealous even. They were so full of passion and they were full of the Holy Spirit. And yet, because of their lack of equippedness, spiritual gifts were abused. Other people were abused. Sin ran rampant within their lives. Sexual sin ran rampant within their lives. If you give somebody the Holy Spirit and there is no equippedness, you have the Corinthian church. You have a mess. So by virtue of your love for Christ, by virtue of your, your zealousness for Christ, by virtue of becoming a Christian, none of these things means there is an equippedness in your life. And yes, you have the power of the Holy Spirit. You have God in your life. But the Holy Spirit knows that He's not going to do anything within your life unless you are equipped. You don't take a soldier, give him a gun, and send him out into the battlefield. He's going to die. Just because you give him the power to kill other opponents doesn't mean that he's going to be effective or that he's going to do anything. He has to go through boot camp. He's got to go through training. He's got to be equipped thoroughly in order to be more effective out on the field, to be a more effective and a more perfect soldier. No Christian is ever equipped outside of what the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers are giving from the words of God. Nobody is. Second implication is that sin will ruin your ministry. Sin is an utter ruin of ministry. Back at the Gospel Life, we watched this. There's been too many opportunities that we have seen where pastors' ministry specifically has been ruined because of sin. And it's the scariest thing to watch. It really is. Sin will ruin ministry. Laziness will ruin ministry. I'm always reminded of Hebrews chapter 5 and in a long way, without having to explain all the details, the author of Hebrews' audience had been Christians for 30 years. Maybe even more. And though they had been Christians for 30 years, the author of Hebrews says in Hebrews chapter 5, you are all spiritually immature Christians because you have become lazy of hearing. He wished for the opportunity to be able to talk to them as mature believers. In fact, 1 Corinthians was also an issue of spiritual immaturity within their lives. But the author of Hebrews is talking to individuals that have been Christians for 30 years. And he said, by this time, you should be able to teach others. You should be able to be equipped for ministry. But yet you have somebody, you're in need of somebody to equip you again because you have become lazy. Laziness ruins ministry. Next implication is that ignorance of the word of God ruins ministry. Not knowing what the word of God says, what the word of God teaches is an absolute evidential fact that there has not been equipping that has taken place. Now these are all extremes. Don't go crazy with some of these things, but it's important to recognize that ignorance of the Word of God ruins ministry. Last implication, and then we'll move on here, is that going rogue will ruin your ministry. Being a Christian, that is the Jesus and me mentality. It's Jesus and me. I'm not in need of church. 
I don't even need to necessarily attend church. I don't need to attend preaching or teaching or discipleship or one-on-one evangelism with each other or whatever you know, whatever classes are being taught. I don't need to teach any. I don't need any of these because I have Jesus. I have the Holy Spirit. Well, again, we recognize that, in fact, Jesus even said this to his apostles, to his disciples, those that he was equipping for ministry. He even said that the Holy Spirit will come. He will bring to remembrance tons of things to your mind, but the only things that the Holy Spirit will ever bring to remembrance in the lives of Christ's followers is the things that Jesus has said. And if I have not heard what Jesus has said, the Holy Spirit is perfectly content to not bring anything to my mind. Yes, he is protecting. Yes, he is controlling. Yes, he is all of these wonderful and amazing things, but he can also be quenched. He can also be grieved. He will willingly restrain himself or allow himself to be restrained insofar as we are not operating from a biblical equipped position. In fact, Ephesians 4 is going to talk to us about grieving the Holy Spirit in the weeks to come. Now, all of this... We see the privilege, actually. That's one of the biggest things to take away from this, is that this isn't just an ob- this is not an obligation technically necessarily at all. This is a privilege. This is an opportunity. Every single individual within this room right now has the ability to be ministers, to be ministering. And that beautiful privilege that we had saw from 2 Corinthians 9 of people that are just so overwhelmed by you, so longing to be around you and that are praying for you and praying for success within your lives, people that you would be ministering to, that's yours. The opportunity is right here within the pages of Scripture for you guys as you continue within youth ministry and go into college ministry and go into adult ministry. It's like you're graduating. Like now you're in the big leagues, right? That's how it goes. It's like, oh, I'm in, I'm in big kid church now. I get to listen to the main teaching pastor. And I have to listen to this dude yelling at me and talking about ceiling tile ministry and all sorts of different <laughs> weird things like that and then insulting a lame guy in Scripture a moment ago. I don't have to listen to that stuff anymore. I get the I get the big leagues now. I am I'm pro basketball. That was a joke earlier. All of that is specifically yours. There are guidelines, there are rules, there are instructions on how to be effective and how to do these things, absolutely, but it is yours. And this all results in a specific privilege and in a specific blessing and benefit. Unity, maturity, Christ-likeness, security, stability, these are all blessed results of ministry, that you would be stable in your life. You would not be kicked all over the place. You would not be extorted. You would not be taken advantage of. You would not be deceived. That these are all results of ministry and the most blessed reality of a Christian to become more and more like Jesus Christ, the greatest man that ever lived, the man who lived with people killing him and the wrath of the Father on him and yet was able to experience suffering like we will never imagine or know or understand or ever experience and did so with joy. So that joy is a joy is yours, but it's by abiding in me and doing what I say. 
being equipped for ministry causes everybody to get to this position whereby which we are more mature, spiritually mature, spiritually unified with other individuals. And the more that we become unified, the more that it's like Spartans stacking their shields next to each other to become an impenetrable force. That's the stability, that's the security that ultimately exists there, of course, in a spiritual concept. Ministry will help you not be thrown all over the place. It's chaos to not be ministered to and to not be equipped. And it starts with bad doctrine, with bad teaching. There's a reason why Paul gave us the categories where we're to be equipped on. Every teaching that does not come from the Word of God is bogus and jacks up your life. Whenever we're listening to sources of how we're supposed to live, what we're supposed to do, what we're supposed to be like, what we're supposed to behave like, example, psychology, example, unchristian friends, example, secular teachers, examples out the wazoo of individuals, I don't know what a wazoo actually is, but individuals that will ultimately come out of the woodwork to be able to give you bad doctrine and to mess up your life. And when you guys get into college, that's where it totally happens left and right. You get a math teacher and he's going to tell you, Jesus doesn't exist. Okay, two plus two equals four. Four plus four equals eight. You can tell I didn't take that much math in college. I don't exactly know what it's like, but these are the teachers you're going to get. You'll get world religions teachers. You'll get all sorts of secular teachers, all sorts of people that will give you bad doctrine, bad teaching. Now, of course, math is not what I'm talking about. Don't like go home and be like, um, excuse me, mom, dad, pastor Jeremy said that math is bad doctrine. It's bogus. It jacks your life. It throws you around like a wave of Ephesians four, mom and dad, Ephesians four, mom, dad, Ephesians four. Stop teaching me physics. I don't care about potential and kinetic energy. It's bad doctrine. It's bogus. See what I mean? No, that's not what he's talking about in those kinds of concepts. He's talking about things that affect your beliefs, your philosophies, your outlooks on life, your behavior your relationships, your goals, your hopes, your dreams, these kinds of things, bad doctrine will lead you astray. This kind of teaching is trickery. This verb trickery comes from the Greek word that means to play with dice. It's exactly what bad doctrine is. It's you go to somebody who's a secular philosopher, you go to somebody who's a, who's a, a heretic, who's a false teacher, and all they're doing is rolling the dice in reference to your life. What are, you, what are you supposed to do right now? Well, let's see here. All right, snake eyes, here's what you're supposed to do. It's playing dice. It's playing around with your life, and it's not coming up with anything that is ultimately going to be valuable to you. And, of course, the main idea is to cheat you. Bad doctrine is intended to cheat you out of what you should be experiencing in life, and somebody then, by teaching you bad doctrine, can take from you what you should be experiencing within life. Non-biblical teaching pertaining to matters of life, how somebody should be living or what kind of behavior they should have, it's dishonest, it's unfair, and it's taking advantage of you. If it's not from the Word of God, you are being cheated. 
And it also means that you're not being equipped for this glorious concept of ministry, nor are you being ministered to. It's craftiness, which also carries the idea of deceiving somebody, taking advantage of them. Basically, it's a teacher who's very skilled at manipulating you in order to make you do what they want. And it happens more often than not. They would even resort to threats or extortions. If you're not doing what I'm saying, I'm going to expose you for being a terrible person. That's the beautiful thing about being a sinner is that you have already confessed to being a terrible person. You've already opened up your arms to the God who is able to save you and said, I am wretched. I am sinful. Christ, take care of me. I'm clinging to the righteousness of Christ. Of course I'm a terrible person. Of course I am. Teaching that is not grounded in and comes from the Word of God will leave you, will lead you astray. Now notice that there are positive consequences of doing ministry. We're going to flip these in reverse and see some negative consequences here. Number one, the entire body isn't functioning properly. The entire body isn't functioning properly if there exists even one person that's not equipped for ministry. Everybody else is affected by unequipped Christians. That's why the Bible even talks about a little bit of leaven leavens the whole lump, even a little bit of sin. Hebrews talks about bitterness can defile everyone else. And in this context, the idea of not even one person being effectively equipped for ministry, the entire body of Christ, or at least that local congregation as a representation of the body of Christ, isn't functioning properly. Following after unbiblical concepts and doctrines as a Christian causes others to not be able to properly contribute to the proper function of the body of Christ. Notice the verse 16 terminology using equipped once again. It talks about how the whole body is supposed to be held together by equipped joints. By joints that are thoroughly equipped and thoroughly adequate to be a joint, to be able to be something that is holding a particular body part connected to another body part. One person who is not equipped is one person that is not ministering. That's the logic that you can see there. And even if a person is attempting to do ministry not equipped, by virtue of being not equipped, they're not doing ministry. One person in the body not doing ministry is a body that can't grow. And even if it's growing numerically, where there's tons and tons of people coming in, all you're doing is basically creating a scenario like a paralytic, and you're just making him fatter. Just expanding and expanding and expanding with no ability to move, no ability to be accurate. There's no movement in this kind of a church. The Word of God is what is going to drive the equipping, and the equipping drives the ministry. There is a responsibility, absolutely on pastors, to handle the Word of God accurately and faithfully and to present this so that they're actually equipping 
the saints for ministry. But it's also the reality of individuals who should be receiving these concepts and being equipped for ministry. Don't try to be equipped for ministry from non-biblical sources, even if that person is claiming that it's from God. There's so many people that exist in Christian circles that feel that they're the conduit for God's word to come into the world and that it doesn't matter about scripture itself. They're just going to continually receive revelation from God. In fact, I was listening to a lady on the internet again the other day, which of course is the greatest place to find solid theology, and she was preaching, thus saith the Lord, he's going to come through here and do all sorts of different things. And those were things that God didn't say that he was going to do in Scripture. Ezekiel even talks about, woe to those that say, thus saith the Lord, even though God hasn't spoken. Don't examine, the, don't follow these things. And it's usually somebody who can reference a kind of a, of a context or a statement that would say the Lord told me and it doesn't follow with the phrase in the Bible. <laughs> Colossians 2, 18 through 19, let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions. That happens in so many different contexts. I've seen, I've heard, I've saw puffed up without reason by their sensual minds not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments grows with a growth that is from God. We need more Christ. We don't need somebody's personal experiences. We don't need all of these other different sources or different opportunities. We need Christ. We need his word. This is how ministry is going to exist. And with that, we're going to have to close. In your guys' small groups, I'd encourage you to maybe seek out some of the rest of the application here in the, in the outline. But let's go ahead and close in a word of prayer. Father in heaven, Lord, we thank you so much for your grace. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your word. We thank you for faithful men who have come and preached the word of God and have equipped us for ministry. We pray that by your grace, we would be thoroughly equipped for ministry from your word and that we would bring such ecstatic thankfulness and praise and glory to your name. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.